0: Hello, friends. A quick note before we get started for today. I am recording this episode with Tibia from partly from my house on Zoom, and from her location, which is at a gallery. She has a fantastic exhibit up called Blue, Black, Black, Blue, and that is currently up on display for exhibition in a gallery. And she is there at the gallery talking about her work. This explains why there is an echo, because you know galleries are very large, and, they, and sounds echo. And so this is why you will hear an echo um, or a bit of a hollow sound uh, as we have our conversation. I just wanted to offer that as um, by way of information, because this episode will sound a bit different. So I thank you as always for listening. And here we go. Hello, everybody, and good morning. Welcome to the Stitch Please Podcast. We are the sewing podcast. We are the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group with Black Lives Matter. I am Lisa Wolfork, your host. And again, I am happy, thrilled, and delighted to be here with you today, and to welcome a very special guest, Tobia Munt um, of Charlottesville, Virginia, an artist a teacher, a creative, um, an all-around renaissance woman, and a friend. And she has a fantastic exhibit right now um, at work. And I thought this would be a really wonderful opportunity to talk to her um, about this work as well as about her background in needle felting. I have never known someone who um, makes, yo- well, not yo-yos, one of those little balls. What do you call the little balls that you make? Pom-poms. Uh, pom-poms yes pom-poms, with such ferocity um and so this and, and, and for me I consider like those are like um those are like the the extras the the um the not frills because frills makes it seem frivolous but those are the bonus you know the bonus things um it's also the fact that I can't do one Um, that I find them deeply, deeply impressive. But um, Tabea is an amazing fiber artist, and I'm so glad that she's able to be with us today. And for those who are Patreon supporters, you will get a video of this conversation, which is amazing because you get to see some things that you can't see with your ears. So welcome, Tabea. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So, um, we're gonna, as we're working through today, can we, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started? I usually ask people about their sewing story, but you don't, you do so, but you don't really have a sewing story as much as you have a story of beginning the process of your architectural, um, sculptural fiber, um, pieces. So can you talk a bit about how you got started
1: with that? Yes. So um, in 2006, um, I was an architect in Northern Virginia, uh, practicing in McLean when my mom got sick. And I'm originally from Houston, Texas. So when I found out she was sick, I just quit my job, like no thought in it, quit my job and moved home to take care of her. And um, it meant going from working as a, an architect in a design build firm, which is, you know, you, you don't sit in the office all day long. You're half in the office, half on site. Um, uh, and I did mostly residential homes. So okay. it went from that to just sitting in the hospital all day. And so it was very hard for me to just sit there. Mm-hmm. So I'm very fidgety, uh, naturally. So I needed something to do with my hands. Mm-hmm. And I've always been an artist, but I never considered myself a good artist. So I would always sketch, but I never found my medium. And so that time sitting in the hospital room, I took up embroidery. That didn't take. (laughs) I took up, (laughs) not at all. Um, So I wanted to do some hand sewing. Have you tried knitting? No, I've never tried knitting. It just seems like it's not my thing. Uh, my sister crochets, but I was just never interested in knitting. So I wanted to sew a fox for my boyfriend, now husband. So I was looking online for fox patterns when I found a needle felted fox. And i never heard of needle felting, never heard of felting, but it looked so cool. Uh, I knew it was some way with a needle that you sculpt this 3D thing. So I ordered... Um, some wool and some needles, and I gave it a try. I made a fox, a little tiny fox. It took me about two weeks. And then I loved it so much, I ordered 20 pounds of wool. Oh, my god! How many foxes can you make with 20 pounds? I think you can make a real actual fox out of that. You could make several life-size foxes with that much wool. But um, it took over my life. I started sculpting um, all sorts of things, Uh, mostly creatures, uh, otherworldly looking things. I just didn't know I could sculpt and it came sort of natural. Mm -hmm. So uh, I I never went back to architecture. I started a business called Licorice Tree uh, creating kits, uh, needle felting kits um, for people to learn to sculpt their own things. And I started teaching classes and it just took off from there.
0: That's, that's fantastic, and one of the things I was, I was thinking about when looking at your bio is that you graduated in 2000 from Howard University with a BA in architecture, um, and so, well, two things that I find amazing about that. One is that you graduated graduate school the same year, you graduated undergrad the same year I graduated graduate school, and I'm very <laughs> impressed with myself for having so many fabulous young friends, <laughs> and then... I'm so curious about what you see as the relationship, if any, between art and architecture. Um, because when I'm glad that you explain what a what a design and build firm is, because I would not know what that is. And I tend to think about architecture as like blueprints and really neat, cool little like setting up little rooms and setting up how buildings you can build them and they don't fall down. And I mean, I have a obviously like second grade understanding of what architecture is as a discipline, <laughs> um, but can you talk a bit about some of your training at Howard and how that shaped your approach to art today? Was there anything there? And the reason I mentioned it is because Bisa Butler who is an amazing quilter. She she went to art school at Howard. And one of the things I remember her saying was, you know how when you paint a canvas, it usually starts off as what we consider canvas colored, which is like ivory or cream. Mm-hmm. She took a class where they were instructed to paint their canvases, start black. Oh, wow. And they started black and then built everything else around that. And when I, I just thought that was such a radical shift in thinking you know, to start and have your blank canvas be a black canvas. And I was wondering if there was anything in your training as an undergraduate that made you think differently about the relationship of art or maybe your own approach to art that you could use moving forward.
1: I mean, when I look back at it now, um, I was really attracted to the model making aspect of architecture So I mean by model making, because I mean, tiny furniture. What do you mean by model making tiny houses, except, or tiny buildings. So whenever we have a project, you, you start with a sketch, but for me, I can't see anything unless it's three-dimensional. So I draw now, but it's very frustrating. So I might sketch out my idea of what I want to do, but I, feel like I can't really see it until I start to build it. So I still make tiny models, especially with um, tufting, um, which is behind me here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I make tiny models of the work that I'm going to either needle felt or tuft, just so I can see it. I feel like I'm a little bit like 2D blind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that. Makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, model making, being able to see something three-dimensional Um, has really stuck with me until now. No, that's fantastic. That's
0: amazing. And the thing I love about that is the transition of taking it from a flat to something that's like that you can hold, that you can walk into, that you can walk around. Like that's really, it's really amazing. You know, it reminds me of this one movie review that I read once for that film Avatar. Remember the film Avatar, The Blue People? The Nazi? (laughs) I was reading it, I was... I was reading a review of the movie, and someone was like, "I saw the 3D version of that movie, Avatar, of that movie Avatar, and it was so amazing. And the 3D version was so good, and it made me wish that real life was 3D too." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, honey, uh, it kind of is." Like, <laughs> do you live
1: in a flat world? It's like, are you flat, Stanley? Like, what? Right. Where do you? Um. you know I've, I've learned that people do see things differently I've started to ask the questions um like to different artists um because I'm I'm fascinated with painters because for me that seems like a really frustrating thing because I I've tried painting and it does not everything seems skewed when I paint but for there are some people that I've spoke to where they feel the same thing about three dimension out, three dimension. They can't see that. So I think we do see different on different things, depending on. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. That makes sense.
0: I can imagine a painter feels like, you know, that they are in a world that is just bright and colorful and makes sense. The way that I love your, what the quote that you just said, that you can't really see it until you start to build it. Right. Imagine a painter thinking, this will make sense to me once I have it laid down flat yes. in front of me and I can then really lean into this process. You yes. know, I can I can totally understand that. I can understand that intellectually. I cannot un- understand <laughs> that artistically. That's the case of my most recent spectacular failures. At trying to decorate cookies of my children's silhouettes. Of course, I was I was so proud to be a I was so proud of myself. Not only that I because I had I had purchased silhouettes outlines of the boys three years ago, and I laminated them and I hand tra- I hand cut these cookies. So oh, they wow. looked, they looked wonderful and they tasted good, and and then I started to to decorate them. Decorate, yeah. <laughs> cake Rex nailed it, any other like vocabulary we might have about what you would call a total fail is what these cookies were.
1: And I know because I couldn't see it. I just couldn't. I just, yeah, it's so tough. it would be torture for me. Like I wouldn't even attempt to decorate a cookie. Like I would, I would abandon the project midway because I never do anything I don't want to do. So if I start something and I don't want to do it, it's like a I'll give it to my kids or someone to take it over. I, I just... It's like, you know what? I started. I
0: tried. I didn't like. I shall now move on. Life is not, you know, permanent. You got to do the things that make the most sense to you at the time. Why torment yourself over a cookie? You know? Um, So... I I really appreciate this so so much. And I wanted to think about some of the the work that you've made um, of the sculptures. You've called them creatures. I think that creature appeared in the word. Also, some of them have teeth. Yes. And I was like, where does this woman get all these teeth from? I'm trying to understand, like, is there some kind of, Tooth collection? Is there some like www.artistteeth.com that you can go to and acquire human teeth? Because this is very unsettling. So tell us a bit more about those and about like, and because it feels it all feels very organic. Um, and so could you talk about that? About how when you're kind of when you're creating them, um, what you are what your what, what your what your overall vision is for them? Because it seems like As you're describing, it's a very organic process, not just an organic result.
1: Yes. So for some of the earlier pieces, like the um, piece with the teeth, the teeth I sculpted out of clay. No way. They're shiny. Yes. Well, that's just a gloss.
0: (laughs) Wow. Now I'm like, I'm going to save money at the dentist and just make my own teeth. Well, I'm going to actually ask to be it and make me some (laughs) teeth. I don't, I certainly don't want to make my own teeth.
1: No. <laughs> yeah, so those with those pieces, um, I never really had a plan. So I just start with the raw wool and just start felting. Mm-hmm. And I will see something in the wool and make it. Um, and then if I like it, then I'll make several, like the, the, the balls with the teeth, um, I just, I don't know, as I, as I start needle felting, I'll get an idea and then I'll run with it. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: I love this that you see. It's, it's, I think that I've read some things from different sculptors that say, you know, like, well, how did you make this sculpture? And it's like, well, I looked at this stone and I took away everything that wasn't that. Yes. Like, well, that's, that sounds very difficult. Um, but no, I, I, it doesn't. It does let you really just sink into the vision, and I I do absolutely love it. Especially when you think about wool as a comforting fiber. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have favorite fibers that you love to work with? I think that wool. Is it true that felting only works
1: with wool? No, it'll work with. Um different fibers so you can use there's some people when I first started and I had my Etsy shop people would contact me and want to send me their cat's fur and ask me to make a replica of their cat which I find disgusting Um, I never I've never done that but you can use any animal fiber to needle felt you can also use acrylic um like um acrylic roving like acrylic yarn Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I don't really do that because it's it's slicker, so it doesn't um, felt as well. So I just use uh, sheep's wool. Okay, okay. I was thinking, could you could you explain a bit the
0: difference, if any, between tufting and needle felting?
1: Yes. So tufting, which is behind me, is um, it's rug making. It's the same way that you make a rug in a rug factory. So I have... I'm nodding like I know what that is. Like, oh, yes. Just yeah, of look course. at... Rug making. Look at any rug you have in your house. So you have um, tufting guns, and it sort of just shoots the yarn into the rug back game. Wow. So I have one that does cut pile, which is just sort of loose, and then one that does... Um, I can't think of the word, but there's just two different, um, techniques. So I'll be, um, doing a demonstration of that next week. Oh, excellent. Oh, that's great. And so,
0: um, I know I didn't say this earlier, but uh, Tobia is joining us today from um, a gallery here in Charlottesville, Virginia. And this is a New City Arts Gallery, right? The New City Arts Gallery. with the Welcome Gallery? It's called the Welcome Gallery. Welcome That's Welcome right. Gallery. And she has an exhibition here until the end of the month. Is it the end yes. of August? <laughs> um, so if you are in town, if you are here in Charlottesville, if you are nearby, if you are if you, if, you, if you want to get out of the house and see people who are not your relatives or your own image in the mirror, I'm sure there are safe, social, distant ways that you can come down and see this fantastic work. Um, I would love to hear more about... Well, so what's needle felting then? Needle felting is the hand doing, right? That's... Yeah.
1: Needle felting, um, you take a barbed needle and you poke the wool. So the more you poke the wool, the more condensed the fibers get. So it's a totally different beast from tufting. Okay. Tufting, rug making, needle felting is using raw wool to sculpt.
0: Actually, I got a kit from the hive to make a little baby cutie thing. See? Yes. Like this. It's so lovely. Um, people, only, again, sorry, you should be on my Patreon so you can see these videos. Two dollars a month, you get to see this fantastic thing I made. But here is the the cover art, and I'll show you mine. Oh, there's your wall. <laughs> there's your. It's Yeah, <laughs> my poor little baby Yoda just looks like two lumps because I've done nothing. I'm like, I don't want to take it out of the box and break it. I'm gonna wait until the outside is open, and me and Tavia can go. I can go over to the hive and have some tea, and she can show it, show me how to do it. Yes. Um, and, and how do you not stab
1: yourself in the leg? That's something I was also interested in. So you see the foam in your kit? The little black foam in your kit? That's your work surface. Oh, thank you. That's me. how you keep
0: Okay, <laughs> it's down there. Yes, it, it is. Because, I mean, of course, I saw that hook and I was like, leg stab. I mean, that was like the first thing I thought. <laughs> like, Lisa, you were going to stab yourself in the leg. And it's like, yes, yes, I will. You're listening to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We're talking with Tabia Munt, who has a new um, exhibit of fantastic tufted and needle felted projects called Blue Black, Black Blue, opening and currently open in Charlottesville, Virginia. And when we come back, we'll talk more about it. Stay tuned. The Stitch Please podcast is really growing. Um, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and ask a favor. If you are listening to this podcast on a medium that allows you to rate it or review it, For example, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do so if you're enjoying the podcast, if you could drop me a five star rating, if you um, have something to say about the podcast um, and you wanted to include that. A couple sentences in the review box of Apple makes a really big difference in how the podcast is evaluated by Apple, how it becomes more visible. It really is a way to kind of lean into the algorithm that helps to rank podcasts. Um, so if you had time to do that, to drop a little line in the review feature of the podcast, that would be really appreciated and it would help us to grow even further and faster. Welcome back to the Tuft Love episode of the Stitch Please podcast, a conversation with Tobia Munt, a fiber artist with an exhibit currently available here in Charlottesville, Virginia. Continue to enjoy our conversation here. I did. Thanks.
1: Um,
0: so can you... Um you've exhibited your work elsewhere in, in, in previous galleries in previous years. Can you talk about what those shows were like or if you have a highlight from those past exhibits? And then I want to transition to talk about this one because it is stunning.
1: So in the, so for me, needle felting has is, is always been a way to deal with whatever is going on with me. So I, I hold a lot of... Um, pain uh in me i also like hold other people's pain so for me sculpting is healing and so um every show every piece i've done has been very personal this show is also very personal but in a very different way um it sort of reaches outside my body blue black black and blue um it begins the conversation about the pain of Black people Mm -hmm. and how we turn our pain into joy. So there's so many pieces that I wanted to do for this body of work. I I just think that I could sculpt this forever and never be done. But it's all about um, how we turn pain to joy and can can you talk about the the piece behind you it's absolutely it's i think I, there's so
0: many words but if i if i thought of one word i think of the word arresting and i was thinking arresting in in all the senses of what that means like for me when i saw it it like stopped me in my tracks like i just froze um it it kind of it demands that you pause and then when you look at the figure and it has so many hands. I don't know. And then the radiant behind it. It's just, could, can you talk about your process in creating this one?
1: So as I started working um, for building the pieces for this show, Blue, Black, Black and Blue, um, I sort of started another uh, narrative that's called an accelerated evolution And this piece behind me was originally supposed to be sculpted. It was going to be needle felted. Um, And one day I just decided to, to tuft it. But it is an image of a man that has grown all these arms. It's called perpetual hands up so that we can survive. So accelerated evolution is all about... How we change so that we survive. It is not based in reality. It is, you know, obviously fictional. Right. But this piece uh, is part of that little series that I, I do want to grow further um, outside of this exhibition.
0: It's really what what I receive from the piece is the adaptation. When you describe this as an accelerated evolution, you think about, you know, some of the phrases in evolution, like, you know, about like like adaptation being one of them. And it just kind of speaks to me to the demands on Black life and how we are uh, forced to, like you you said, evolve in an accelerated way for our own survival. That's right. Um, And that, and and I can, in this, how you said, how we change so we can survive. I -hmm. mean, and how you, you've drawn this in such a way with these organic fibers and these organic processes and the pieces feel very warm. And maybe that's because they're made of wool and wool is you know, as an organic fiber, as a, you know, an animal fiber, it just, they just feel so substantial, Mm-hmm. you know and i just feel like that like that is something that's just so powerful and i know sometimes for some of the um needle felting work that you do you put it on a um i don't know what those things are called where you hang it on the wall like i know some of the pieces that you have in the hive it looks like you know when people would mount animal heads like some people do oh, like plaques. Like plaques so tell me about like why you put some sub- what cuz i think some of the pieces in this show are also on plaques is that right uh, not really. Um, I they, think... They hang from the wall. They, they're three-dimensional and they... I'm going to
1: move over to some of the needle, needle-faulted pieces. Oh,
0: you guys, we're so... so let's go, let's go to... Isn't that a plaque with the, the... Is that a, a lady with the pink and black?
1: Is that So a... it's a frame. I'm trying to get a better... Oh,
0: frame. okay, okay.
1: So she, behind her is tufted, Okay, Um, but she is in a frame.
0: Oh, I see. I see. These feel so maternal. I don't know why. Maybe because they look
1: like breasts. Um, But like, let's talk about this part. So this, these are all drips. So the whole show, every. What does that mean? What is that? It's it's melanin. It's melanin dripping. Uh, Why? Because we have so much damn swag. Yeah. All melanin. No. Maybe the name the show melanin because everything in here is dripping. Um, yes, our pain. You know it. It. It's all because we have melanin, which is a wonderful thing. Yes.
0: No. Yes. This is fantastic. It's fantastic because you know it's it's liquid, but it's also very viscous. You know, mm-hmm. and so you really have done like such a beautiful job of basically taking something that's fibrous and fibers kind of absorb things right and you yeah. transformed it into something that releases that's right yeah it's just stunning y'all gotta come see this show really truly really truly um, and so how, how what are your thoughts now? I know you said you wanted to continue with an arc an accelerated evolution as um as you're continuing to work on the pieces. how do you ever feel like you're at a stopping point when you walk into a gallery and you you see your pieces um displayed? Do you feel like do you feel satisfied? Do you feel like, okay, i've I'm at a good point. This is what I wanted. Or do you still feel like it's unfinished and there's more that you could do or want to do? I don't, know how, I don't know how that process works for you.
1: For this show, I don't feel like I'm finished. I feel like I have more to say. Um, the Accelerated Evolution uh, part of the show, I'm working um, with Christy Baker, who is a muralist in town. Um, we've submitted to do a mural at X Park um, with the theme of accelerated evolution. I don't know if we'll get it. And again, I'm not a 2d artist, so that will challenge me in a different way. That'd be great. All right, that would be great. And I'm excited for that. If we get it. Yes.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Can we, can we shift to talk about your, about building a maker space? Um, I first met you, I believe when I think I just must have I don't know how we connected. I think I saw that you had the hive and I was like, oh, there's a black lady that has a maker space. We've got to be friends. Let me go find this person. Um, so I, how did that come about? And I one of the things I love about the hive is like the, the craft bar setup, the, you know, the the way that you even name the rooms in the building. Um, you know, like it's just beautiful. Can you talk about And so what I'm explaining y'all is in the Hive, there's a bunch of different small artist studios in there, and each of them are named for, like, either an African-American person or an African-American area locally in the community. So, like, I don't know. It's just really a beautiful space. Um, and the it's very deliberate and intentional. And so I wanted to know more about how this came to be. So
1: the Hive is really... Um... It's just a natural extension of me, really. For the longest, I would do projects with my kids after school. And at some point, when they got home, I had all these projects set up on the table. Every day, there was a different project of the day. We're going to make something. Because that's what I do. I can't. That's just how I communicate. I communicate by making. I show love by making either for something for you or teaching you how to make something. So at at one point, my kids were just, they told me point blank, we're too old for your projects. (laughs) So I was like, okay, that's that's fine. Aren't both of them still in elementary school? They are seven. No, they are eight and 10. And they told me this when they were six and eight. Wow. (laughs) So I was like, okay, that's fine. You're too old for my project of the day. So I'll go do the project of the day with the world. So I like fine. Be that way. Exactly. I'm gonna build a whole business, and I can do. And I'll make new friends. That's right. And then now they now they like my projects again. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I started asking around. I didn't want to do it alone. I knew that I wanted to still be able to. Um, pick them up from school and not just be at work all the time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I started asking around, trying to get someone to do this business with me. I don't think anyone took me serious, but when I set my mind to do a thing, I make sure some way I'm going to do this thing. So um, we started looking for space. I think it took nine months from the time I said, I'm definitely doing this to opening the doors of nine months. Are you serious? Like having a baby. It was too fast. It was definitely too fast, but I don't think that I would do it any other way. I think if I would have slowed down the whole process, fear would have set in. Take it over. Yes.
0: Yes. That's fantastic. Oh my gosh. So you said, I have an idea. And nine months later, you are walking into a building that is actually, it's like the architecture, right? It's yeah. like, I, I, you can't make sense. It's like, you really can't see it until you start to build it. That's right. That's and, exactly it. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. That's amazing. So what are some of the, if someone, and I have friends who want to do this, they want to build spaces. They want to create spaces where their creativity can live. They want to help support others in that. What were some of the, um, some of the big lessons that you learned? In building this space um, especially in such a small gestation period like that's incredible
1: um the lessons I've learned I, I, I think it's just if you want to do a thing don't expect to sleep <laughs> while you're building it like it's it's really really hard it's not an easy thing but if you make a decision that you want to do a thing uh you you need to work really hard until it gets done. So it was very hard. And there were times that I wanted to give up, but um, I wanted an art bar. And so I I just kept going. And even, I think the hardest part actually was after we opened. Um, The first month after we opened, I had so much regret. (laughs) I was like, why did I do this? Because now... I've got to get customers and pay rent and keep this thing alive. So it was very scary after the doors opened. It wasn't so scary building the thing. That was kind of fun and exciting. But then, you know, we started building a following and then it just took off from there. So it's been good. I have had
0: a great time. I have a couple of pieces here that I made. um, And I think I came and did a craft bar and then a friend and I sat down and I like, have done that a couple of times and it was really nice to just sit and have coffee and like string a beaded, um, I think a beaded coaster was what I made. And I have that in my kitchen. I look at it every single day. Yeah. Um, I also made some for my family and sent them, sent it to them. And so like, it really is a lot of fun. And the great thing about it, so the way that their craft, you want to describe how the craft bar works so people understand, like, it's such a really great innovation that you, I mean,
1: it's really quite wonderful. So it's, it works just like a restaurant. So we have a full menu of crafts. We have adult crafts and kid crafts. So you come in, you place your order at the bar, and then we give you a tray with instructions um, with everything you need to complete that craft. And our menu changes seasonally. So right now we're in our summer menu. Um, and so we have summer themed things. So then you just, yeah. And then we have our craft tenders instead of bartenders tenders that can help you if you need help um, putting your thing together. The craft tending is my favorite part.
0: Yes, I love, I love that. I just love that. I am. That's why I'm excited to like keep my um, my kit that I got. Keep it safe um, because again, I'm worried about messing it up on my own. It's like I'm gonna wait until I can go and have some help with from the craft tender. Um, yes, <laughs> that would be very helpful. That'll be very helpful. I'm also gonna learn to make some pom poms because oh, they're yeah. so cute. I mean, you all. It's like Tobia is a, a, an amazing artist. She is, you know, she's she's smart. She is creative. She's clearly powerful, Um, and she also can churn out pom poms like nobody's business. I feel like, you know, I'm just getting my yarn out of the bag, and she's like, I made ten. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where did those come from? How? That look like animals. That ten like animals. Yes. Or like that are. Yeah. And it has a little face
0: and a nose. And I'm like, that's fine. Never mind. I don't have to be good at everything. It's fine.
1: <laughs> Whatever. But that's how, you know, I'm stressed when I'm making a lot of pom poms. That's like my stress relief. Like too. I don't know. It's a good one. It's that, Hey, there's worse things that one can do under
0: stress yeah. than make, you know, 50, 11 pom poms. Um, <laughs> But this has, been, this has been so wonderful, Tabia. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Now, tell us how people can find you on social media um, and where we can follow you and support your work.
1: So, my Instagram is at art. Mm-hmm. and my website is TabiaMunt.com. And this show
0: is at the Welcome Gallery um, in, um, um, sponsored by New City
1: Arts, and it's up until August thirty first. Yes, and it will be available online starting Monday.
0: Oh, and online on your page, or is it through New City Arts? Like who? New City it? Arts. Oh, 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 oh. Y'all, so lucky. Thank you, Tabia. You are great. I'm going to stop this now and then ask you a couple more just follow ups um, about what you think about what a title should be. Because I don't know. I had a title. I was going to call it Tough to Love. I thought that was clever.
1: I like it. I like that. (laughs) Maybe we'll use that then. Okay.
0: Um, So I'm going to go ahead. What's that? Thank you. Oh, you are so welcome. Girl, please. Anytime. (laughs) Anytime. Because you are amazing. you've been listening to the stitch please podcast the official podcast of black women stitch the sewing group where black lives matter we appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast if you'd like to reach out with to us with questions you can contact us at black at gmail.com if you'd like to support us financially you can do that by supporting us on patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n and you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcasts um directories or services allow for reviews but for those who do for those that have like a star rating or just ask for a few comments if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the stitch please podcast that is incredibly helpful thank you so much come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together